Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is a pleasure to come your way every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday morning at 1 a.m., Wednesday at 9 a.m., and streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We're also podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher Player, FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. <laughs> I could go on, but I'm not going to. We're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And um, we certainly hope that you will, if you don't subscribe, which is okay. I'm not uh, picky about that. I'm not about the numbers. All right. Seriously. Uh, yes, I'll I'll tout the fact that we're almost to 100,000 listens on uh, SoundCloud through all of the other elements. Now, Bear in mind, that goes back to January 1st of 2018, but 100,000 listens. Wow. I'm Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. One of these days, I'll do a program going down the list of the countries that are like the top 10. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do that in this program as we get uh, to the end of the program. But we also ask that you go to YouTube, hit notify. If you don't subscribe, hit notify. So the next conversation that comes up, you're going to be able to listen to it. And then we ask that if you can support us financially, we would be so gratefully appreciative. If you can do so, wonderful. We have a PayPal account. It's there for your security as well as ours. And when you go there, they're going to ask you for an email address to whom you are going to send that uh, contribution, that support, uh, which we are so gratefully appreciative of. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The email address is richard at richarddugan.com. That's richard at richarddugan.com. Oh, one more thing, and this is going to tie in very interestingly, I think, to our guest and our subject today. We ask that during this, the decade of perfect vision, you go within to that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place and listen to that still, small voice and follow the promptings. I've often I said it seriously for a time, and then I got, I said, let's, let's not get so serious. If you're going to listen to that still small voice, follow the promptings. What's the point of listening if you're not going to do that, you know? But it, again, it's always your choice. You have free will, as do I, as does my guest. And my guest, uh, his free will has to do with the fact that he was willing to join us here on the program. Mark Silver, M-D-I-V. Uh, he is a person who assists in positive elevation <clears throat> evolution, I should say, of mankind. He brings about uh, a greater awareness of self and others within the area of business. And we're going to be touching on that because we're going to be talking about his latest work, his book, heartcenteredbusinessbook.com. We'll be linked to that website, heartcenteredbusinessbook.com. He has a website. It's called Heart of Business. Mark, thank you so much for being with us here on the program. I cannot tell you uh how with our prelude before we started uh how excited i am to um get your insights uh on on the subject i'm really delighted to be here thank you so much for having me i gotta tell you that i have a feeling that w if you were to do some kind of a survey of some sort and um you were to um ask or or evaluate you would have to do the analysis or have the the folks around you that that support and so forth um, go through the top, the Fortune 50, the Fortune 500 corporations, businesses uh, to determine if they even have a heart. And that's not so hard. Put the stethoscope up to the heart, up to the body of the corporations. Is there a heartbeat? And some people would say, no, most corporations have no heart. They don't care. Their 
lifeblood, unfortunately, is the bottom line. Now, to that end, what I shared with you earlier, just very briefly, client, project, sample provided, and I got this unbelievably detailed diagnostic of the sample to which I'm thinking, you know, this could be more trouble than it's worth. I think I'll cut bait instead of continue fishing. Yeah, the money's great, but is it worth it? So let's talk a little bit about the aspect of a heart-centered business and the issue of the bottom line. Yeah, well, you know, these kinds of situations come up frequently uh, in business because often what's happening is that there's a lack of clarity. You know, the, the when you have a new client, when you have somebody approaching your business, <clears throat> sometimes what has happened is that the client has an idea in their head of what they're wanting. And they're sometimes not even clear that that's what they're wanting. And they have an assumption that that's what you're going to be providing. And so, you know, the, the process of enrolling a client often for me, like when we teach in our sacred selling course, when we support clients and in going into the sales process, we really want them to slow down and not be so hurried, you know, hurriedly trying to push people into purchasing. What you're trying to do is you're trying to do an assessment, um, a really an ass assessment both of the details of what it is that they're wanting, you know, an assessment from your own perspective of can I help them? You know, do I, can I, can I see the path? Can I, do I have the skills? Like, am I the right person to help them? And also you're assessing in your heart you know, is there a good fit here? You know, we're talking about, of course, you know, smaller businesses where you have the direct contact with the customer mm -hmm. or the client and taking that time, slowing down, connecting with your heart. It saves a ton of trouble on the back end, um, as you know, as you're as you're describing now, it doesn't always solve everything. You know, there are, like you said, there are legitimate times when we as a practitioner as the as the as the business owner makes a mistake or could do better or could learn mm -hmm. from feedback from a client always open to hearing but often when there's a lot of very detailed feedback from a client it usually very often that's telling you that they're wanting something different than what you're providing and they're asking you to do something that not from I, f I find that it's not from um, any kind of ill will. There's mm -hmm. just a mismatch. They had a picture in their head and they didn't know that you didn't provide that you provided something else. Yeah. By the way, folks. Uh, yeah, we are sort of talking about small business. We're talking about uh, healing from toxic business culture. Uh, so your small business can thrive. And that's what I want. I want everybody to thrive. I want to thrive. And um, I just find it, uh, like I said, I find it fascinating uh, that though this particular client is the first client I have ever had, and again, I say this not egotistically, but humbly and appreciative, uh, who have wanted a contract. I've never had a contract in the 44 years that I've been doing this. 
And it's been word of mouth. It's been a gentleman's or gentlewoman's agreement. And I had one, uh, matter of fact, early on, I had one client back when I was living in Phoenix, Arizona, who had me do this project. And I was just learning the process of the uh, digital editing. And so I provided the cassettes, which is what we were putting out those days <laughs> is cassettes. And she came back to me and said, this is horrible. I can't use this. It's like a run on sentence. Cause I had taken out all the breaths thinking that that was a good thing back then. <clears throat> right. All right. And then again, right. it was a learning experience, right? It took out all the <laughs> one long 45 minute run on sentence. Oops. I said, look, uh, I can't refund your money. Yeah. Cause I'd already spent it, but I can make it good. So here's what we do. And so we recalibrated. We have brought everybody back in to re-record because back then I did not save the raw data. I oh, edited. the lessons we learned, right? Oh, my right? goodness. <laughs> I mean, and that's part of it. It's like I didn't here's, – here's my perspective on that. I didn't make a mistake. I had a life lesson. Okay, that's how I look at it. So she brought everybody back in. We re-recorded everything. And then I told her, okay, now this is how this is going to work. I will <clears throat> do some fine-tuning. Uh, but this is how I'm going to make this work. And I told her how the parameters finished the project, gave her the cassettes, listened to them. She loved it to which she actually came back for another project. Okay. Now I could have said, nah, I, nothing I can do. You know, uh, you paid me, I gave you your project. You don't like it. Nothing I can do. That would be the height of arrogance. And, and I'm not there. I'm here to learn. And I, I read this gal's email uh, a present time and I went through all of the um, information that was provided. And yeah, there were a couple things that, Oh, I can fix that. I can fix this. I can fix that. But at the same time, we do have to recognize that it's kind of one of those things, isn't it? Where you have to know what you know, but you also have to know what you don't know. Right. Right. Well, and you make a great point because when we're early, you know, so many people, you know, start a business, you're not, you know, you're newer at what you do. It's not that you can never learn, you know, like a, we're all, we're always learning. I've been doing this, you know, this work for uh, 23 years mm -hmm. and, you know, continually, continually learning and growing. However, just like you described with your profession, with what, mm -hmm. you know, with the skills that you have, there were things you just, you were, there were far many more things you just didn't, didn't know at that point. And so it was easier to make these kinds of mistakes. But when you have some expertise and you have, uh, you know, at 10 years in, a lot of people are really uh, approaching mastery, a, a certain level of mastery with, mm -hmm. with what they do. You have to, you have to trust yourself that, oh, this is how I do things. And yes, I can evolve and change and things can be tweaked, but I can't do something completely different yeah. um, or I'm not wanting to do something completely different. And that's okay. And that's where for a heart centered business owner in terms of like, whether you're talking about marketing or talking about different kinds of communication or the sales process, that clarity of communication is so important. Um, it creates so much safety. You haven't had this issue. It hasn't come up. So you're probably communicating really clearly. And this is just, you know, it's like, a, this is just something that happened as, a, as opposed to seeing a pattern of like, oh, I'm getting a number of people that come in thinking I do something different. And then that's when you can start to shift things. I do want to um, backtrack and just 
Sure. Speaking the topic of mistakes, because I, I address the topic of mistakes in my book, and it's been something that, um, you know, you 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 um, you read out the initials MDiv, um, which stands for a Masters of Divinity, and I come from a uh, I, I work within a Sufi spiritual lineage, and um, bring that sense of spirituality and heart connection to the work that we do, mm-hmm. and. My teacher, my sheikh, who passed a few years ago, taught that mistakes were incredibly important. In the Sufi tradition, um, it's said that if human beings did not make mistakes, the divine would would have created an entirely different race of beings that did make mistakes because mistakes are so important. They're so important. Um, They're how we... That they're not only how we learn and grow, but they're they're kind of an essential part of how we become better. If we don't ever make a mistake, then we can't ever improve. We can't ever grow. We can't ever expand. And um, I once had a client. I was teaching a workshop. This was years and years ago, um, a live workshop. And someone who was sitting in the audience said to me, "I think I." I think I get it. Like part of the reason you're up there and I'm down here is that you were willing to make more mistakes than I've been willing to. And if you're going to develop a business, especially one from the heart, especially one that's trying to really contribute and be in service to the world, if you're going to do that from a perspective of trying to avoid making mistakes instead of just trying to do your best for the people around you. And that means sometimes stretching and sometimes making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Avoiding mistakes is a terrible way to build a business. <laughs> it's just a terrible way. And so embracing the pathway of mistakes, embracing that, oh, mistakes are not only human, they're healthy, they're expected, they're important. My, you know, in the language of my sheikh, he said, Mistakes are a gateway to holiness, to righteousness, if you want to use that language. Um, and it's uh, it's this opening in the heart that can happen when we go through a mistake without shame, without collapse, and just embrace the humility of who we are and then expand into who we can become. Yeah. I... I... Matter of fact, I had somebody uh, who was, um, excuse me, who uh, was uh, uh, talking about business. And I asked them very, very pointedly uh, how important mistakes are. And that's what we'll call them for the sake of argument. I don't want to keep going into life lessons or lessons learned kind of thing. And they said it's actually, if not number one, it should be. They are the most important aspects in a business because that's how you grow. If you don't make mistakes, how are you going to grow? How are you going to learn? Um, like that example I gave going back into a 19, I wish it's like 1994, 95. Uh, that, I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe it was almost 30 years ago. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's a long time. Let me tell you. 
We're talking right now here on the program, uh, a very special guest, and I'm so glad that he is with us here on the program to talk about some of these things. Uh, Whether I'm getting free advice or not, it has to do with heart-centered business, healing from the toxic business culture, so your small business can thrive. And uh, there's an area I want to bring up in a moment, but I want to give the website out. He has a website. It's called heartofbusiness.com. But the book, if you'd like to uh, acquire a copy, uh, it is heartcenteredbusinessbook.com, heartcenteredbusinessbook.com. Is it available yet in Audible? Um, no, not yet. Yeah, well, we'll, um, we'll have uh, to talk. That's a, that's a future plan, yes. <laughs> we'll have to talk. I produce them. Uh, and you, folks, I want you to know, guess what? You're listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you so much for being with us here on the program as we we talk business. We talk about uh, how to keep your business going. There was one element <clears throat> that took place. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember this or, or not. Um, I don't know if you remember this part or not, Mark, but there was this period of time uh, when, uh, and it was was a long, long time ago, I think it was a long time ago, uh, 2020, when uh, businesses were, were basically shuttered and uh, so forth, and uh, and people, you know, were, and of course, my first thought when this happened was, well, if we just do what the government asks us to do, cover yourself with a mask, wash your hands and stay 600 miles apart from one another, we will be through this in three months. But the individualism came into play and people said, no, uh, you're taking away my freedoms. Well, I reversed that and I said, what do you mean take? I'm exercising my freedoms by by doing these things. And um, businesses, some of them, they would shut down and never reopened. Some of them did. And then new businesses sprung up during this time. They innovated. How important, because it's been said that human beings, one of the things that they do, maybe not the best, but they just do it, is they adapt. And we saw adaptation on a grand scale, in my opinion, across this country specifically. Uh, there were people in their own homes who were making <clears throat> masks. They were making what, what PPE, something like the protective wear. Right, right. Personal ma- protective. Yeah. Right. right. And, and, um, and so forth and so on. They innovated. But there were a lot of people who did nothing but moan and groan and complain about the situation. And on one level, wow, God, what a waste of energy. What could you have been doing with that energy instead of moaning, groaning, and complaining? Let's talk about that aspect of adaptation, whether it was what happened a long, long time ago in 2020, or if there's a fire, an earthquake, a flood, um, a downturn in the stock market, and the pensions are gone, et cetera, et cetera, on infinitum. Right. So it's a really interesting question that you ask about adaptation. My understanding, you know, and I, um, and you talk about fires and floods. I used to be a paramedic in the San Francisco oh, wow. area. I was a first, first responder, responder. For, for a long, for a long time, but that, that's, that's 20 years ago, more than 20 <laughs> years ago at this point. Um, so I, I want to say that adaptation is not an individual thing. It's a collective. And so what what we saw, and I'm, I'm not speaking about 
the health measures of the pandemic. I'm not, I'm not talking about that, but mm -hmm. from a business perspective, right. what happened during that time is that because our culture, the, the United States business culture, the modern capitalism um, has a, has an outsized toxic presence in the culture. What happens is, is that um large corporations are given a tremendous amount of support and have a tremendous amount of power and small businesses don't. And so we saw small businesses shudder and we saw large corporations multiply their profits by billions while so many people were suffering. Mm -hmm. And the reason that they, that the large corporations could do that is because they had so many resources available to them. When we don't have resources available to us, it's very hard to adapt. Even just on an individual basis, taking on something new, if you're not rested, if you're hungry, you know, if you're exhausted or depleted, if you're busy all the time, it's really hard to learn because you have to go into a place of discomfort to do something new. And so you have to have some resilience. You have to have resources supporting you. And when we do this collectively as a culture, then there's way more adaptation that can happen. There's way more growth that can happen. There's, there's way more um, healthy, I don't want to say expansion because there's a limit, like we can't just keep expanding, but healthy development um, into new forms can be incredibly beautiful and nourishing and powerful and sustaining for us all. But when you have an individualistic culture based in this kind of toxic, predatory, modern stage capitalism, where um, very large corporations don't pay taxes very often and they receive subsidies and they amass billions without having to pay their fair share. And then they, um, and then they can further profit off of terrible things that happen, whether it's a stock market downturn or it's a pandemic or it's a war or it's these other kinds of situations. So if we want to thrive as a culture, if we want to really adapt to a, to a changing world, we want to be thinking collectively. We want to be thinking, how can we support one another? How can we give each other uh, the resilience, the solid ground under them so that, uh, so that they can grow? Yeah. We, we work with, we've worked with thousands of business owners over the last 20 plus years. And I consistently see a lot of the people come to us, they have you know, like so many people do chronic health conditions or they're single parents, or even if they're, they don't, they aren't single parents, they have a, you know, they have elders they're caring for or young children, they're often exhausted. And there's a limit to what you can do when you're not supported. And so mm. we often, you know, like to bring that attention. So people don't blame themselves for not moving faster, for not adapting faster, for not learning faster. And when you bring in that compassion and that understanding, it allows people to breathe. It allows people to understand that they're swimming in a tide that no individual person can overcome. But together, when we support one another, we can. And then they can start to work on their business. Their business can develop from the heart with love mm -hmm. and with you know, strategy and knowledge, but love. And, um, and then they can do, they can do better and they yeah. can start to, 
yeah, there's so much to say there, but it's, I, I'm glad that you named that because this collective care is such an important part of adaptability. I will touch base on a little bit more of that aspect you've just brought up as we continue with Mark Silver. And uh, we are talking about his book. We'll talk more about it on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, Mark Silver is my guest. Mark Silver, Master of Divinity. Well, I want to talk about that, too. He's written a book called heartcenteredbusinessbook.com is the website. Heart Centered Business is the book. And Heart of Business is his other website. We'll be linked to the latter, or actually I should say to the former, so that you can check out the book. Um, there was a word that was used by one of my guests just recently. And I have to tell you that as I was doing this interview, and we were talking about five different cultures around the planet. And these were, and I can actually name a few of them. Uh, he did some research and, and so forth into uh, the, um, and, and he makes a differentiation between school, which is, he says, is book learning and education, which is socialization. And uh, he, he looked into the Navajo Indians of North America the great Southwest. I grew up around them because I grew up in Phoenix, the Hindus of India who just landed. What was it? They just landed a vehicle on the moon. Did they not? The Indians did. seriously didn't know they were in the space race. Very cool. <laughs> uh, and then there were the nomads of the middle East. Okay. Or what used to be the nomads. And he looked at their culture, their family. Uh, how's it called? Their family, their um, uh, family traditions, if you will, their, their, their culture and so forth. And he, what he discovered as he shared with us was a new word I had never heard before, but I have to tell you, I was using the word interdependentism, but I like his word better. Uh, and let me see if I can pronounce it correctly. Commuter, uh, commun, communitarianism, which has to do with community. We're not talking communism here. We're talking about what you just talked about. Now, <clears throat> when I was a, a general, a, a general, a, an operations manager for the, this religious station I worked for, for 15 years, by the way, best education ever paid for. I was ever paid for. Um, Boy, there was a lot of talk about individualism and how your personal relationship with God, your personal relationship with God, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I got to looking at that and going, well, wait a minute, but what I'm reading throughout the ancient wisdom teachings, whether it's the Bible or the Bhagavad Gita or the Quran or any of the other ancient wisdom teachings that go way back, there's no individualism from the spiritual perspective. Mm -mm. You're part, you're part of the whole as in Christianity, you're part of the body of Christ, if you will. And I'm going, where in the Sam Hill did this come from? I think that the founding fathers, observation, folks, I think the founding fathers may have gotten it wrong. First Amendment is irrelevant because we affect one another, not only consciously, but even unconsciously. And in business, it's the same thing, isn't it? We've got individuals. You don't pay me enough. To, I've heard that a number of times as a as operations manager. You don't pay me enough to do that. Uh, well, except that... Um, <laughs> that's what we're paying you for that was in the job description what how about that element of individualism versus this communitarian uh communitarianism yes uh or community if you will because here's here's my deal every place i've ever worked with maybe 
No, every place I've ever worked, it was a community. Yes, we were individuals. Yes, we had our individual jobs. But if each of us didn't do our individual jobs, then the overall job or project, product or service was never completed. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm i 100% in agreement with that. I think that... Um, there is a there's such a beautiful interplay between the individual and the and the collective right the group the community however we want to talk about that a healthy community will support someone to be their best you know to have their to find the place where their gifts really shine to support them in being the best person who they are and at the same time will teach and support the individual to then use at least some of their gifts in supporting the community to be healthy. It's not an either or, like we shouldn't pit them against one another. What's happened in Western culture um, is that we have, um, you know, uh, prioritized individualism over collective care. And it's, and we see the pain of it every day. We have, you know, a handful of people have more wealth than they could spend in 10,000 years. Um, and we have people living on the streets. And there's just, there's just no need for it to be that way. You know, it's, there's a lot of cultures that have existed in other times that just wouldn't allow that. There's still unevenness. It's not like everybody has exactly the same thing. We're not talking mm-hmm. about that. Um, there's always diversity and um, difference uh, in terms of how people live and what they have and, you know, but, but to have some, to have the extremes be so extreme so that there are many people in harm's way and a few people that live um, like false gods is reprehensible. I'm going to call that evil. I'm going to call that an expression of evil. And I think that um, we're all harmed we're all harmed by that. And mm. it's interesting because you mentioned this piece about, you know, someone saying, well, you don't pay me enough to do that. And he's like, well, that's what we pay you for. That's an example of taking a collective systemic issue and personalizing it and pitting the employee against the business instead of saying, wow, what are we doing as a community mm-hmm. to make sure that people are cared for, to make sure that there's um, that, that, what is needed to make it healthy is present and to make sure that a business can sustain itself and can pay their employees and their employees don't have to feel like they're always living on the edge. Um, And so, you know, whenever you're living on the edge, you hold on to what's yours more tightly, you know? And so if you have enough and you feel cared for and you feel loved and you feel like there's support there, people naturally become more generous. Um, We, we see that in crises all the time, the good comes out in people, you know, they talk about looting and all of this, you know, like the news likes to highlight that. But in reality, when we see crises happen, the vast majority of people are helping each other. And that's how we could live normally. I think part of the, energetic specifically at this Christian radio station was epitomized by my boss, the general managers um, sort of, I guess you call it, I don't know if it's his number one philosophy, but it certainly was right up there. He lived by the, this law, the law of diminishing returns. 
which simply says, do not put out more than you expect to get back. And I I remember a client, a programmer came in, bought the airtime, had these reel-to-reels. Each one was 15 minutes, but he bought 30 minutes of time. So he wanted these reel-to-reels transferred and combined into two, two, program, two reel-to-reels into one. Well, every time I put one of his reels up, put it on the machine, it squeaked. I said, I got to figure out what the deal is, because apparently he did not store these properly. The lubricant that is on a reel-to-reel had dried out. I found out silicone spray would work. Oh, wow. But I had to keep putting it on there. But that was fine. That was fine. And I was able to do that. And he had, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 of these tapes. And my boss said, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, guess what? <clears throat> After two weeks on the air, and I had completed the reel-to-reel transfer, he canceled. Now, my boss kind of took umbrage with that. He wasn't upset with the client. Client has the right under the contract. But he was disappointed that we had spent all this time. And I'm going, it wasn't wasted time for me because, number one, it gave me something to do. But beyond that, beyond that, I gained the experience of that process and solving an issue in order to be able to complete the project. But probably from my perspective, more importantly, and I'd love for you to talk about this, I thought, you know... We treated this guy well, all right? For whatever reason, he canceled after two weeks, okay, but he, we treated him well. And as soon as, um, as soon as he had left, I'm going, you know what? He is going to give us a stellar review. Uh, he is going to uh, tell people, you know, I was only there for two weeks, but boy, I'll tell you what, those people, boy, they just go, they just go above and beyond. Well, <laughs> the reality is I went above and beyond because it's, it's just the way that I am. So anyway, the, the, this whole process is fascinating to me and uh, uh, I'm hoping that people will take a, take a lesson from it um, that there is a community that you're a part of. I, the, the word culture was never used in the context of the workplace before in, and until the last, I'm, I'm going to say the last couple of years, as far as I know, I, I never heard the word business culture used to describe the workplace, but it's accurate. It is very accurate. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I want to touch on something very quickly before we move on here. But before we move on, I want you folks to know you are listening Guess what? To tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Mark Silver is my guest, Master of Divinity. I keep saying that. I want to talk about that in a minute. <clears throat> there is an individual, uh, I'm, I, and I want to keep this apolitical, okay? So bear, uh, I'll keep it brief, too, because I know people get a little sick and tired of this. Who exhibits a particular personality trait. When running for office, exhibited this personality trait. Oh, by the way. He uh, won the office. I would ask business leaders because I was so upset that this person was a bully. I mean, that's my observation. He was just a bully. And I had a bully in school, bullies in school. I, I didn't want a bully in this particular position. Uh, so I would ask business leaders, business leaders, business owners, I should say. Take the politics aside. If you had an employee like this one, 
who exhibited these particular attributes, A, if he was applying for a job, would you hire him? B, if he was employed by you, would you fire him or uh, do whatever was necessary to try to get them to comply? And they would basically, without equivocation, say, oh, I'd never hire a person like that. And, uh, and yet I'm going, well, then why would you want that person in that position that they're holding now? It doesn't make sense. So using now, there's a place where you're, we're learning a lesson. We're learning lessons here. Big lessons right now, especially. And I find it fascinating that, that you know, uh, people are, are, I don't know it's a, if it's mesmerized or what it is by individuals like this. And I guess the best word I can use that it describes it is narcissism, self-importance and so forth. That doesn't work real well in, in what you're talking about, does it? It doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, yeah, individuals like that um, with the types of qualities that you're describing um, can sometimes gain money, but they rarely are truly successful. In fact, they never are. Like there's net, they don't have, and they've done so many studies. They've really looked at this, like so many people like that are really unhappy in their lives. And the wealth that any wealth that they do accumulate, if they do, many of them don't, many of them end up in debt and, or end up, you know, it's because business is dependent on long-term healthy relationships to really be successful. If you are burning bridges behind you as you go, it's really impossible to build in, you know, in most circumstances to build a thriving business. And, um, and even if you do end up um, uh, with money, there is this cost that I don't think is worth it. And I don't think, I think many of us don't think is worth it. You know, when, when we work with our clients, they are people of, um, you know, like so many of us are, of, you know, moral standing, you know, they care about ethics, they care about other people, they care about the world, they want things to work out well for most people. And they refuse to do things that aren't in integrity. Like they refuse, they refuse to lie and manipulate in their marketing or sales. They refuse to, um, you know, cut corners. Uh, they refuse to um, cheat people. They refuse to do those things. And unfortunately, in the business world, um, we have a lot of role models that do exactly those things. And so many people are turned off of business because they don't realize that there's another way to be in business, that there's another way to be in life, that we don't mm. have to cut our heart out in order to care for one another and to be successful and to thrive in the world of business. Well, it's interesting because I have always tried to stay humble, especially considering the fact the universe, for me anyway, has had this knack, uh, if I get too big for my britches, of giving me my comeuppance. <laughs> okay so yes, so i think uh, that's true yeah and i'm grateful for that because i would not i've said this many times one of our slogans here on this program is giving people choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true well it's been said that all of the choices that we have made in the past 
have brought us to where we are right now. And it's amazing to me thinking about that, that any of the choices that I made as a child would have anything to do with the fact that you and I are here talking right now, but they do, they do. Um, and that the choices that we make today will determine where we will be in the future. And I love one of my guests added, yes, however, the choices you make today are based upon your perception of what you think the future will be. And we hear this question in business an awful lot from managers to employees, right? So where do you see yourself in a year, five years, 10 years, you know, what have you? Right. I have no idea. I have no idea where I'm going to be in a year, five years. A matter of fact, I participated in an onstage uh, um, presentation last Christmas uh, with a group called the Revels here in Santa Barbara. Oh, I had the best time. It was great. I didn't realize how much, how time intensive it was. Time intensive it was. Uh, but and had I known, I probably would have not done it. In other words, if I had read the fine print <laughs> in the flight. Right. right. We get into things not knowing that. They, yeah. Well, know, they've asked me and... to come back. They've asked me to come back. And I said, well, I've got too many things. I, I told them last year, I says, I don't know where I'm going to be, uh, you know, in six months. This was in December. Uh, you know, I'll let you know. And now I've got so many things going on. It's like, I would love to, it would be great. It would be great for my spirit. It would be great for my psyche and so forth, but I've just got too many things going on. And so, um, <clears throat> I had, to, I had to beg off, but I said, I'll buy a ticket to the performance. I'd love to see it. I'd rather be up on stage with you guys, but you know, so, um, you know, we make choices. You know, and we, we do. I think that it's I think that it's important, however, out of a spirit of compassion and truthfulness to understand that although our choices do lead us on a path, many of them are either recoverable or less significant than we think. You know, it's like when we you know, there's that um, you know, there's that there's that thinking like, oh, you know, if you step on a butterfly here, it creates a hurricane on the other side of the world. And that's mm. just not true. Like, we're, like, we're not that powerful. Well, and when we when we make uh, many of the choices that we make, aren't going to alter our lives that much. And I say that in the spirit of what we were talking about before about mistakes, about um, the the, the heart courage, the courage to be able to try new things and to not be concerned that every little choice that, you know, it's like that can create a paralysis if you think that every choice has that much significance. It's, um, I think it leads to a much more joyful life to be, um, you know, listening deeply in your heart for where your next step you know, where the guidance is to place the next step. Because I think that sometimes we do make choices based on what we're thinking about the future. But sometimes, sometimes if we're listening deeply, we're doing it just because that was the guidance and not because we're trying to force an outcome. This is a very um, strange thing to be talking about in the context of business, because of course, when you're working on your business, you want to create certain outcomes. You want the business to grow. You want the clients to get what they, you know, you know, the, the best work that you can give. You want, mm -hmm. want to care for any, you know, if you're, if you're a solo business, you want to care for your, you and your loved ones. If you're, you know, if you have a larger business, you want to be able to support your employees well. And, you know, there's all these things that you're wanting. And yet sometimes 
we have choices. Like this book that I wrote, um, I don't um, like I. This was not a strategic choice for me to mm -hmm. write this book. Um, I was approached uh, by a publisher, and they said we'd love to. You know, someone who worked for them came in contact with my work and was impressed. And they said, I think I think you should submit a proposal to the to our publisher. And um, and when I checked in with my heart, all I heard was a yes. It wasn't like if I do this, then this will happen. And, you know, lots of good things. All kinds of doors have been opening because of this book. Um, it's uh, it's really becoming a, a beautiful vehicle for my work in the world. You know, it's that's not what, but that's not why there wasn't a why right. there was a, Oh, I'm supposed to do this. So I'm right. going to do it. And it's an extension of you. Uh, I mean, people have referred to their books as their babies, you know, this is my baby. I've got to, you know, and so forth. Uh, I'm still working on a book. I'm trying to get it finished, but I've got so many other things going on. I, I it's like, okay, I got to get over there and do this, but here's the issue, my friend. <clears throat> I've been working on it for uh, 22 years. Um, you know, 22 years I've been working on it. It's not a big, I'm not trying to write war and peace. Okay. I mean, I'll be lucky if it's a hundred pages when it's done. I mean, it's almost a pamphlet. All right. But I'm still working on it. I'm still hopeful. Um, anyway, I, this, it's fascinating to me. Some of the elements that we don't think about when it comes to running a business and you talk about choices, when I go to work for someone and I've been lucky, I don't want to say I've been lucky. The universe has brought me to all of the right people, including one employer, one manager who, when he hired me, he treated me as if I was his best friend, but he brought me in through the back door into sales so that he could fire the program director and put me in that position. But this way I'm already in the building, so to speak. And I thought, that's that's dirty pool, but uh, okay, um, you know. And the ethics of that, from my standpoint, were, uh, I'm uneasy about it, but, you know, I, I can really use the work, and it's not my fault that he, this other guy is, you know, wanting to, they're wanting to push him out. I found out later why. It was because he was trying to improve the place, and the owner of the radio station basically was using the station as a tax write-off. Didn't want it to improve. So anyway... But he and I became very good friends. He helped me along the way when he was let go and I was put in his position. So there was a plus. Uh, but after that, about three months after I'd been hired, the general manager started treating me as if, remember, I was his best friend, right? As if I had just killed his best friend. He was mean. He was, arg I mean, I, the, the, I hid in the production room doing my job. Just to get away, stay away from that energy. I mean, but most all of the, and what was beautiful, the next job I had, it was like I was being embraced by a new family. Oh my gosh, it was wonderful. But am I wrong when I say that the owner of a business has the right to tell you what to do and how to do it? In this, in this context of what we're talking about, that doesn't sound to me like a heart-centered business. Well, I think that, uh, you know, everything in context, you know, if you say, you know, does a business owner have an unlimited, unlimited permission to tell people what to do and how to do it? Um, 
No, of course not. No one should have that much control over someone else. You know, it's like, that's, that's not right. And when, as a business owner, if you hire someone into a position, it's because either you don't have the skills to do it yourself, or you just don't have the time to do it or both, you know, that Mm -hmm. you're, you're needing more helping hands. It's going to be way healthier for the business if you can communicate with your team about what you're trying to do with the business and what your intentions and hopes for, you know, hopes are and where your standards are and let them find the best way for them to do the job. There are going to be certain things that need to be followed. You know, there are certain ways that you're going to want it done and you can explain that and, and share that. And, you know, and of course there are people who aren't suited, you know, get hired into the wrong positions and their skills and talents don't match that and they shouldn't stay in those positions. But in general, you're going to have a much healthier business if you can allow people to have um, appropriate levels of sovereignty and creativity within their role. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be micromanaging anybody because it's no fun for them. It's no fun for me. And it slows the business down. Yeah. I uh, have been training people to do what I do for two two reasons. Number one is because if I tell them and teach them everything I know, and then they go and do that, guess what? I get to go off and do new things. Okay. I, I am not a protector of territory. I just, it's, it's just unrealistic. But the second thing I do when I'm training them is I say, look, I'm going to show you how I do it. And then I'm going to also tell you the result that we want. Then I'm going to turn you loose. I don't care if you do this job on your standing on your head, juggle. I, I honestly, I really don't, I don't care. What I do care about is as long as you get the result that we are looking for, no dead air, uh, good levels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I have to tell you, I, 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 in spite of the fact that, you know, we had a, a, a business here in Santa Barbara that, um, that basically was owned by a person who, was was really uh, um, uh, criticized a lot. And, and when I first moved here in 2006 to Santa Barbara, that's all I heard was this criticism of this person in this business. And I'm going, well, first of all, let me let me just say this. Um, it's that person's business. They can run it however they want. OK. And if you don't like it, why don't you go make this person an offer to buy the business so you can run it the way you think it should be run? Well, nobody did that, of course. And unfortunately, and this to me is, it goes back to this personality that I was talking about earlier. There's karma involved in that you cannot continue to sustain a a kind of energy that literally saps the energy out of everyone else as well as your business and expect the business to succeed. Right. Uh, and I said this, oh, of course, of this person of the narcissistic element who came out of the starting blocks with that negative energy. Now, number one, A, I don't want to bully in this position. But number two, I'm going, as the as the days and weeks wore on, I said, this isn't going to work. He can't, this person cannot sustain this, this level of 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 uh narcissism and and animosity and and vitriol and victimhood 
because eventually it's going to catch up with mm -hmm. them. Right. And it, it eventually has. It has caught up with this person, whether and I'm not going to argue the merits of anything here, but whether or not he has been uh, accused falsely or truthfully is irrelevant. The fact that he is going through these trials is a result of the fact that he chose this path. He chose this path and the way in which he walked this path and mm -hmm. karma and that energy. So would you say that there are some businesses, I think about this uh, when they talk about, especially 2008, 2009 during the downturn, economic downturn, the, these different companies that were too big to fail. I'm going, nothing's too big to fail, if you want to use that term. And then, of course, some of these businesses were bailed out. And I'm going, wait a minute, what about the capitalistic philosophy and free enterprise that the market will determine who is here and who is not? Since when do we bail? I mean, I don't get bailed out if I lose my job. Yeah, there's unemployment, but I have to keep looking for work. So what about <clears throat> what about that element of trying to help the small, small business especially to and again, I don't want to minimize the importance of the mistakes or the lessons learned, but to help to either avoid or help to better learn from those, shall we talk, missteps. Yeah. I th I mean, my, my personal opinion, based on the years that I've been studying and working with all of this, is that I think that we would be better served putting our collective resources into supporting smaller businesses rather than the rather than the the gigantic ones. Um, I uh, there's a lot of myths uh, that surround large corporations um, about that they're more efficient and they're not. They're more efficient at concentrating wealth into the hands of a few people, but they're not necessarily more efficient at doing things. They create more fragility in the economy because there's, um, you know, instead of having multiple sources supporting a community, you know, it's like if a small business goes down, there's, you know, like we can help them out. But if you have a huge business go down, um, that creates a lot of ripples and creates a lot of a lot of trouble. It, also, solutions that we need tend to be very localized. You mm -hmm. know, it's like what you need for um, uh, either for housing or construction, whatever. In Phoenix, is very different than here in central Pennsylvania near Harrisburg. The climate's different. The weather's different. We don't want the exact same thing. You know, it's like we, we need different structures. The topography is different. This is true around our food systems. This is true around um, our homes. This is true around our cultural needs. And so when you have these large corporations, they make profit by making everything the same. And small businesses do well. And small business is not the only way we should be getting our needs met. Business is not the only way. But for, for the part of our needs that are getting met through business, they do well when they are different from one another and they are complementary to each other. And then that way we thrive way better than that. You know, we, my wife and I, we love gardening. We have 15 acres here and we do, we're trying to create permaculture and food forest. We have a lot of friends in regenerative agriculture. And the things that I've learned um, about that is that 
a tree on its own is not going to survive. What it needs is it needs a diverse ecosystem around it to thrive. So when we plant peach trees, I'm looking at my, you know, fruit trees, I'm looking at my window, I see a peach tree that we planted a few years ago. We're in the process of planting a number of smaller plants and, um, and shrubs and things around it so that it becomes, they all are complementary. They help support one another. One thing that one plant does feeds another plant, which feeds the tree and also keeps pests away and helps with disease control all naturally without having to put a lot of effort in. And I didn't just plant, we didn't just plant peach trees. We planted a bunch of different types of trees. This is how the world has worked for millions of years. This is how humans have thrived for tens of thousands of years. What has been an experiment, which is just a tiny, tiny slice of human history, the last few hundred years of the particular kind of corporate capitalism that's been created, um, has proven itself to be toxic, unhealthy, and unsuccessful. And I, um, I think that we need to do some collective and individual healing to really shift what's happening both in our business culture and the way the business culture is like an, uh, like a bull in a China shop in, um, in our culture as a whole. Mm. Well, some very interesting and important lessons, I think, that need to be learned. There's no question. And I hope that uh, somewhere down the road, we actually do learn them because uh, they are um, they are going to teach us an awful lot as as we've as I've iter uh, iterated <laughs> and reiterated. <laughs> um, it is those things that will really go a long way to help us uh, move forward in our lives and our businesses and so forth, in our society and of course in our culture, depending upon you know what that happens to be. It really disturbs me when I hear this phrase that it's. It's their fault that we are the way we are. And it's like, no, it's not. It's not their fault. It's nobody's fault. We, the thing, the choices that we made have brought us here, but it, we're not going to play. I, 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 I went through the whole victim phase back in the eighties, 40 years ago. And I went through personal growth programs like uh, LifeSpring, which was an outgrowth of EST. Great experience. Learned a lot. I'm not a victim. I take responsibility for my life, you know? Uh, and I also do adhere to this other element too, that uh, I may not be able to control the circumstances in my life, but I can control my, uh, my actions and my thoughts and feelings in regards to those circumstances that come up in my life. And that's, what's going to make the difference. We're talking with uh, Mark Silver, and um, we're talking about his uh, latest work that he is making available to you through his website. Website for the book is heartcenteredbusinessbook.com, heartcenteredbusinessbook.com. His website is heartofbusiness.com. Mark Silver is my guest. And are you ready for this? You are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, and uh, it's really a pleasure, Mark, to have you here on the program. I want to talk a little bit about this. Uh, you, you, first of all, uh, when did you um, go decide you were going to get uh, um, your Masters of Divinity? Uh, obviously, there were several steps before that in terms of this whole aspect of your personal philosophy and so forth. But uh, talk to us a little bit about that particular journey. Yeah. 
Well, you know, when I first started, when I first made the shift from being a paramedic and having uh, and running a nonprofit um, and wanting to start a business, because I, I realized I had learned way more about business from various life experiences, including growing up in business, my parents, my grandfather. Um, and then I started helping friends who happened to be self-employed in various ways. And I, I'm like, wow, I know a lot more than I thought I did about how to run a business. Um, this is back in 1999. And, um, but people had tremendous emotional stuff going on, you know, uh, like, God, how do I, how do I charge enough so that I get paid well, but I'm not hurting other people taking their money that they need? You know, how do I market myself without being gross? Like, there's all of these, like, emotional, emotional content to being in business. And uh, my wife, Holly, um, you know, I was asking her, I'm like, God, I need, I really need to know how to process people, how to help people emotionally. And that was, uh, you know, to make a long story short, we came into contact with um, a Sufi teacher, uh, an Islamic Sufi teacher from Jerusalem, and started learning Sufi healing, uh, spiritual healing. And I eventually became a teacher and a faculty. And then I went for my master's of divinity, uh, because I wanted to continue to immerse myself with my teachers to be able to carry. It's like, it's not a academic uh, exercise, this mm -hmm. particular master's program. It was about how do I continue to deepen my ability to find and carry the love in every situation? Mm -hmm. How do I continue to deepen my ability to see the beauty and the divinity in every moment? How do I, um, in the case of my particular business, how do I continue to find the presence of the divine in every aspect of business and to help to heal the distortions that have created evil, for want of a better word, have created such pain and suffering among people and um, and support people in very nitty gritty ways. How do they develop a business with love? And um, as well as strategy, as well as knowledge, as well as all of these things. And so the spiritual aspect for me was absolutely necessary because without that ability to connect with the heart, without being able to guide people to connect with their heart successfully, people stay stuck. They go, oh God, I had some, I've had terrible, terrible experiences with sales. And so I don't want to go near sales. And of course, how do you have a business without <laughs> knowing how to sell? And so there has to be a way to heal that, not get over it, because there are very legitimate complaints about tons of sales approaches, which are really gross and terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to get over the reactivity, to be able to heal the reactivity so that you can learn a way that's not manipulative. Um, and the same with systems or any other aspect of business. And it's really funny you mentioned sales because <laughs> when I first moved to Santa Barbara, I got a job at a company called uh, Bargain Network. And basically what they did was they sold these three monthly subscriptions at uh, $29.95 each uh, for the purposes of um, buying a car. And they would send you this pamphlet of the latest vehicles that were available. And I'm thinking, well, isn't this auto trader? You know, uh, then they expanded to homes. Okay. Now, first of all, let me just say, thank God they were incoming calls. They We weren't making cold calls. But. 
I shared this with my father and I said, I hate this job. I hate this job so bad. Here's the irony. I was one of the top sellers. I was really good at it. Now, now we go back almost 50 years uh, thereabouts into the 70s. I was a paper boy in Phoenix, delivering the morning paper for the for in eighth grade. And then I switched to the evening paper throughout high school. I absolutely loved that job. If I could go back to that job the way that it was, I would, because I met some fascinating people, had some incredible conversations on top of the fact that I was outdoors, uh, bicycling everywhere. I was... I got really good at aiming and tossing papers up to the third floor, down to the first floor, from the third floor, um, and so on and so I forth. Was, I did that too. I was a paper boy, 1979, 80, 81 for the Washington Post. That was, <laughs> that was great. Uh, there's something about that. I, you know, it's, it it's, it's being around people. It's being mm -hmm. outside, you know, and so forth. Um, so I would, I would go back to that. Um, and, and, um, Yet, and and by the way, you had to go out and sell subscriptions. You you know we'd have um, uh, evenings we'd go out and sell, and so um, I apologize. I have to take this. Uh, just one moment, please. I'm going to pause here. Okay, and I I thought this was an hour. Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm trying to I, wrap I this up. Yeah, okay, I'm great. I'm going to wrap this up here. Hold. I wanted to ask you very quickly three final questions because we do need to wrap up here. Um, and I ask these of all of my guests. But before I do, I want to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. SoundCloud is our main podcasting site that's distributed to uh, SoundCloud is distributed to iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. And I hope you'll no click notification so that the next conversation that is put up, you'll be notified. We ask that if you can support the work we're doing, we would greatly appreciate that. PayPal is our, uh, our, our hub. It's there for your security as well as ours. And we ask that you spend some time going within, listening to that still small voice, which, of course, Mark, you definitely were listening to Mark Silver, who is the author of the book we've been talking about and the whole concept here, Heart Centered Business, heartcenteredbusinessbook.com is the website. His website is Heart of Business. God forbid you don't have a pulse in your business, please. Let your, give your, give your business a pulse. <laughs> and by the way, if you don't know how, Contact Mark. He knows. He knows how. And he'll help you through that. Uh, Mark, final three questions that I ask all of my guests. And the first of those three questions is, who is Mark Silver? <laughs> oh, it's um, that. You've stunned me. How do I answer that question? I'm me. You know, I am. It's. Uh, another expression of the divine i you know that's either an extremely short answer or an extremely long answer <laughs> <laughs> um you know i'm uh 
Uh, I'm a Sufi teacher. I'm a former paramedic and first responder. I'm a husband and a father. Um, uh, I love gardening. I do woodworking. And um, <sighs> and I'm real um, proponent of community mm-hmm. and collective care and, in addition to heart-centered business. What is your life's purpose? Uh, to know the divine. Mm-hmm. You know, this, uh, the, the Sufi perspective on this that I... Uh, so there's a there's a quote that's attributed to the divine in the Sufi tradition um, that says, I was a hidden treasure. There's a quote as if the divine were speaking. I was a hidden treasure and I yearned to be known. I loved to be known. So I created the creation in order to be known. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's not a belief here that there's a beard in the sky, that God is some <laughs> separate thing sitting, you know, it's like there's a this is all you know, uh, an understanding beyond mind. And so knowing the oneness, knowing the source of love from which we all come and to which we all return, um, I believe is the human journey. And that's something that I have embraced uh, to whatever extent I'm able to, to try to know the divine in every person, in every situation. Final question. I hope you get the movie reference. Um what was your best day? I do not get the movie reference <laughs> at all. City City Slickers, the first one. They're riding on horseback, it. and yeah. Mitch asks his buddies, what was your best day? And they went around as they're horseback riding. But what was your best day? It's so interesting. My boys have, over the years, we have twin teens, and they have learned not to ask me, like, what is your favorite? Because I can never answer that. I have had so many best days in my life, you know, whether it was the day they were born or it was just this morning being out in the woods with the dogs or um, when I met my wife or a really amazing session with a client or, you know, uh, being in the kitchen and baking bread, which is another thing I love to do is to bake or, you know, there's there's so many wondrous moments and each of them has its own flavor. And I'm, I'm not trying to be too highfalutin or esoteric or difficult in, in that, but it's like, I, I so depend on the love and the, um, and these kinds of nourishing experiences that seem to keep coming over and over again, arriving over and over again, uh, that for me, I, I, I try to meet that with joy. I don't always, sometimes I fall into, you know, all the different emotions that humans do, upset, angry, frustrated, sad, exhausted, all of that. But inevitably, I, I return to the love and return to the nourishment and return to you know, the wonder that's available. Well, Mike, uh, Mark, thank you so much. This has been a great pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. I would like to have you back to talk about because I'm I'm this program, of course, deals with new paradigms for new world choices. It's more metaphysical, more spiritual. I want to talk to you about Sufism, that philosophy, and and and, mm. and educate people 
because I'm learning an awful lot about Judaism. I know more than I wanted to know about Christianity. Um, I don't know enough about uh, the about Islam. Uh, I'd like to know more about Buddhism and Hinduism and all of the other isms that are out there. And I'm now learning about a new ism called communitarianism. And I'm looking forward to uh, maybe starting my own religion. And um, and uh, the church, we will, don't have to build. It's already here. It's called the earth. <laughs> so I'd love to have you back to talk about Sufism. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really uh, appreciate that. So I'll uh, when I'd I send you to. when I send you the emails, I'll send you some dates and times down the road. We can talk more about that. But thank you for being a part of Tell Me Your Story. Thank you so much for having me. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast, podcast, video cast. Love to lol. Jeanette, I am still listening. Dad, continue to be happy. And Doug, I will see you down the road.